Good morning, good morning, welcome. Welcome to Ethos, my name's Dave. So glad, so glad that you're here this morning. So honored that we get to be together, um, that we get to worship. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10 is where we're gonna be this morning, Luke chapter 10. And you, you've probably picked up on this over the course of the morning, but um, today we're, we're kind of crossing the finish line. We've been in this month-long journey of prayer and fasting with more than 600 churches from all across the city. And we're coming to the end of this particular season, but, but I want you to hear me like very clearly we're coming to the end of this season, but our mission with Jesus in the city is not over. And we get to wrestle with this beautiful reality of what does it look like to, to finish one thing well, but to understand that the bigger thing that God is inviting you into is alive and well. And, and it may look a little different tomorrow than it did yesterday, but to understand that God's still giving you a very real mission. And so we've been in Luke chapter 10, uh, over the last several weeks together, if you're with us on the first week, we, we looked at the story of Luke uh, uh, 10, uh, the Good Samaritan, and talked about kind of, hey, God, would you awaken us to the people that you put right in front of us in our sphere of influence? All those people that you work with, live with, hang out with, that God would awaken us to those spiritual opportunities. And then in the second week, we, we asked God, hey, God, would you awaken us to your presence with us, your friendship? And we talked about how friendship comes before fruitfulness in the kingdom. Intimacy with Jesus comes before impact in the world. And so that was our second week together. And then last week, Aaron talked about what does it look like to live into our God-given purpose to like carry the mantle of God's mission into the world. And this morning, we're gonna talk about what does it look like to carry that mission with both a sense of like joy-filled privilege and yet also, and this is, maybe, maybe this will offend your Nashville senses because we don't tend to talk about things like this a whole lot, but I've, just, I've sensed that God is inviting us to carry the mission, not just with joy-filled privilege, but also with fear and trembling of the responsibility that God has given us to carry on behalf of the people that we love and that you see on a daily basis. And I think sometimes it's easy in our context in 2020 in downtown Nashville to, to hold on to this idea of joyful privilege, but to not think about, man, just the, the weight and the reality of what it is that God's called us to carry. And I believe those two things dance together. They, they come together in the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want us to explore that just a little bit. Next week, we'll, we'll wrap up our time in Luke chapter 10 as we look back and look forward. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we're going. And so we started this a month ago at the Ryman, and we had this, this night of prayer and worship and uh, kind of my goal for our time together this morning is that we would, we would get to spend a significant chunk kind of ending this journey the way that we've begun it by, by praying for the people that God has put on our heart that you've been praying for over the last 30 days. So that's a, that's a bit of where we're going. Are you guys doing good this morning? Everybody good? Um, so glad to be together. If this is not all, already on your radar, tonight at five o'clock, we're having prayer, worship, and baptisms do whatever you can to be here. It's gonna be an amazing night. There's some of you that you're sitting here and you're just on the fence and you go, I don't know. And I just go, man, just come tonight. Just come and see what the Spirit of God might want to do in your heart. So that's where, that's where we're gonna go tonight. I wanna throw this picture up on a screen. I'm just curious by a show of hands, um, how many of you know who this person is? Just, we didn't have anybody at the nine o'clock. So if you're feeling uncultured, it's cool. You're normal. Like, does anybody know who this is? I, I didn't know who this person was until I looked him up. Either this is Harry Winston this is Harry Winston, who you may not know who that is either. You're like, okay, well, that, that didn't do anything uh, for me. Um, Harry Winston, kind of in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, he was like known as the king of diamonds. 
Um, the king of jewelry lived in New York City. Now maybe that's, you know, striking uh, a chord. You're like, oh, okay, I think I've heard of him. One of the things that Harry Winston became famous for was on November 8th, 1958, he donated the Hope Diamond to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. The Hope Diamond is 45 and a half carats, almost a flawless diamond, much like the one I gave Sydney when I proposed. Um, <laughs> this uh, huge, beautiful diamond worth worth $300 million, which I'm like, I can't even imagine why anybody would be kind enough to donate that. Don't donate that, hold on to that, sell it, tithe to the church, you know, like, <laughs> do what you gotta do. But he donates this diamond to this museum. But here's kind of in the later years, what he became famous for is not just the fact that he donated it, but how he donated it. Do any of you know how he donated, how this got from New York City to Washington, D.C.? He sent it through the mail. True story, this is the picture of the envelope. This is the real envelope that he used. He put it in a brown paper envelope. He bought a stamp for $2.44. Like that's how much it costs to mail a 45 karat diamond back in the day. And he literally just gave it to the mailman and said, take this to DC. I'm like, I don't like shipping gift cards for birthdays anymore because they get stolen. I'm like, can you imagine like putting something that valuable? something that expensive and something that, that, is, that is that frail and, and that cheap and that, it just, it's like, it blew my mind. And that train's mind. It blew <laughs> my mind that he would take something of such significance and that he would transport it in such a cheap, seemingly instable, insecure way. And I was, I was thinking about that story this week and uh, I started digging into it and there's this fascinating interview with the mailman. They, they did this interview with the mailman not too long after he delivered it. It's like, it's like, what were you experiencing as you were driving that diamond? And he's like, I did not want to lose it. Like, you know, like, I'm like, that's a great goal. Don't lose that package. And as he was, as he was reflecting on that moment, he was talking about both the privilege of getting to carry something so valuable and also just almost the awe-inducing fear that comes with the responsibility of trying to move something with that much significance. And as I was reading that interview, and I just thought about the moment in Luke chapter 10 that we've been in all month, where Jesus, the Son of God, the fullness of God in every way, he comes in human skin. And I just wanna be so clear on this because Jesus is clear on this. Jesus, he came not as humanity's cheerleader. He did not come as humanity's therapist. He did not come as humanity's life coach. All of those things are good. I like cheerleaders. I like inappropriate ways. I like life coaches. I like therapists, okay? So like, don't send me any emails. But, but Jesus did not come as any of those things. Jesus came as king. He came as savior. He came as Lord, he came as forgiver, he came as redeemer, he came in humility, but he came with authority and he was not scared to live in that reality. And he shows up in human skin, compelled by the love of God. You know John three sixteen, right? For God so what? For God so loved the world. Jesus was compelled by love. But sometimes through our cultural ears, we hear this and we go, oh, he loves us. And so what we end up unintentionally doing is we reduce his mission to something smaller than it actually was and is. 
They go, oh, Jesus, he loves us. He's here to encourage us and to give us advice and to, to coach us and to cheer us on and to strengthen us. And I go, yes, he is an encourager and a strengthener and a leader, but he's so much more than that. And he comes on this incredible rescue mission he comes to, to literally break the grip of hell on the human heart, to, to cleanse and to cure the disease of sin that's affected every person that's ever breathed a breath of air. He comes to deal with all of that and to restore people back into relationship with their heavenly father. He's on this incredible rescue mission. And so you, you read the gospel and it's like, whoa, like what, what an amazing thing this is. But you come to Luke chapter 10, and I think sometimes we're so familiar with it, especially if you grew up in church, we lose the gravity of what's happening here. Jesus takes this incredible treasure. He takes this incredible message. He takes this redemptive power. He takes this mission and he takes this treasure and he wraps it in the brown paper bag of humanity. He sticks it in the mail and he says, now I want you, ordinary men and women, to transport this glory to the ends of the earth. It's like, but God, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm addicted, I'm a screw up, I'm gonna get the message wrong. Every time I play that game of telephone, I screw it up. Like we can't, how, how is this, and Jesus is like, you just trust me. I'm the treasure, you're the transport. I am what is extraordinary, but I wanna use you, the ordinary, by my grace and my love and my mercy, and I want you to take this extraordinary gospel, but not just the gospel, the power of the gospel, the reality of the gospel into every place of brokenness around you. And you hear that, and I feel like this mailman driving from New York to DC going, I can't believe what I've got in the car. And there's a part of it that's like, man, this is a joyful privilege. Like, I mean, just to think about this, that God would want to use you to shape and change and prepare somebody's life for that moment when they meet him in eternity. Like what a privilege that is. But guys, it's more than a privilege. It is, listen, it is a fear-inducing responsibility as well. Because Jesus goes, hey, I don't want you to change this message. I don't want you to make it more palatable so your culture will accept it. I don't, you, I don't want you to soften it or sidestep it. Listen, I'm the treasure. You put it in the paper of your life and you take it where it's going, but you take it full-bodied, unthrottled, not watered down, not shifted, not changed, not more palatable to your taste buds. He says, you take it as it is because it's good. It's good. But it will confront every idol of every human heart. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the human heart is an idol-making factory. And the good news of Christ comes in in all its power and it begins to confront us. And there's this moment in Luke chapter 10, you've got to understand this. Jesus, the King, Jesus, the Savior, who's on this rescue mission, he puts the treasure in the hands of these ordinary people and he begins to send them out. It's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks together. And I just I want to read back through it. We've, we've studied most of this, so we're just going to hone in on a couple of specific parts of it. But starting in verse one together, Luke chapter 10, it says, after this, after this, that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, after they'd built this friendship with God, after they'd come into relationship with King Jesus. It says, after that moment, Jesus appointed 72 others. I love that we don't know their names. 
You realize when human history comes to a conclusion, no one's gonna be talking about you. No one's gonna be talking about me, and that's great news. It says, when the sky opens up, when Jesus steps back onto the stage of human history, there is only one name that will be on the lips of humanity. It says, even the eyes of those that pierced him will see him and go, whoa. That's where human history's headed. He sends out 72 others. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go, verse two. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. May that not be true of this church. May Jesus look at Ethos Church and go, the harvest is plentiful, and man, the workers were abundant in that body of people. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He said, go, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves their wages. Don't move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what is offered to you. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. There's this moment Jesus is sending them out. He's sending them to the places where he's getting ready to go. He has put the treasure of the kingdom in their lives, this unthinkable treasure. And he says, now I want you to transport it to all of the places where I'm getting ready to go. I don't know if you've ever made this connection before, but you know, just like John the Baptist came before Jesus and prepared the hearts of people so they could receive Christ, you and I are, are standing before humanity, helping prepare them for the moment when Christ comes again. I don't know if you ever thought about that in your life. It's true in your workplace, it's true in your family, it's true in your neighborhood. And he says, I'm sending you out with that reality. I'm sending you out with this treasure. It's not just for the professionals. It's not just for those with seminary degrees. It's not just for those with jobs or educations. It's for anyone who's walking in relationship with King Jesus. And so he says, verse nine. He says, when you go there, heal the sick who are there. Well, that's a biggie. <laughs> How do you do that, Jesus? And then tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus says, Hey, before you tell them about the kingdom, I want you to demonstrate what it looks like when heaven touches down. In other words, isn't it true that so often people need to see a sermon before they hear one? But you need both. You need word and deed, action and speech. And he says, I want you to show up. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to proclaim that the kingdom has come near. And this is, where, this is where it gets heavy, and I don't wanna stop here. I, I want us to feel the weight of what Christ is sending us into, verse 10. He says, but when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into the streets of that town and say, even the dust of our town we wipe off as a warning, listen to this, as a warning against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. He says, I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day than for Sodom. It'll be more bearable on Sodom on that day than for that town. I, I, go, I don't know if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I go back and you can read it in the book of Genesis. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to understand. I'm inviting you into my rescue mission. And we've got to understand this, guys. It's Jesus's mission. Only Jesus gets to determine the reality of the mission. And he entrusts us with this treasure, which is both the privilege and this weighty responsibility. He sends them out and he says, sometimes people are gonna respond to it, sometimes they're not. You leave the results up to me. He says, but I want you, I want you to make sure they understand 
that what's happening in their midst is really significant, whether they've bought into it or not. He keeps going. He says, woe to you, verse 13, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me has reject, rejected the one who sent me. It's the word of Jesus. It's the mission of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus. He shows up and, and I've just been praying. You know, last night I was, I was sitting in a parking lot and I was just thinking about our church and I kept thinking about the words of James chapter three, verse one, where it says, not many of you should be, want to be teachers because you're gonna be judged more, more harshly. And I was, I was just sitting in the presence of the Lord and guys, I know some of you don't know me and I don't know some of you. I'm just telling you, I don't know how to express how much Sydney and I love you. We love you so much. We do not do this out of obligation. We don't do this for a paycheck. We don't do this for any, we do this because we love you and we believe God has called us to do this. But there's this reality where I go, man, I'm gonna stand before God one day and I will be held accountable for whether or not you heard the full, unashamed reality of the gospel. And I was like, man. And I get that on kind of a public level, but as followers of Jesus, and I'm not saying this in any way to create shame or fear, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. This is true for us in all of our smaller circles as well when you're sitting across from a, a friend at a coffee shop and they're telling you that they're stuck in a life of sin and you don't have the courage to lovingly deal with it. This is true when you're, when you're sitting in your family's living room and and someone is running away from the kingdom of God, and you're more interested in them liking you than you are them being redeemed and, and, and transformed by the power of the gospel. Like Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out the great treasure, not just to speak it, but to demonstrate it with power and with might, to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom. He says, I'm sending you out to do that. He says, but I want you to understand what's in the undercurrent of all of this. And you see it as you read through Luke 10. The undercurrent of this mission for Jesus is that Jesus knew that one day all of humanity would stand before the judgment seat of God. And Jesus knew that without his intervention, without his grace, without the cross, Jesus knew that humanity was on a trajectory to a Christless eternity, to an eternity forever separated from the reality of God. And Jesus says, guys, I want you to understand this. I'm not just sending you out to do good deeds and to be nicer than your coworkers and to post a tweet occasionally about the scripture you read. All of those things are fine. He says, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm inviting you to be the transport system of this search and rescue mission operation that carries the weight of the message of the gospel and the power of the gospel that has the potential and the power to change the human heart. And that whether you believe this to be true or not, God is inviting you. He's inviting us. He's inviting us, guys, to, to help 
prepare the people we love for that moment when they're gonna stand in the presence of God. And I don't know what that's gonna be like, but I've often found myself just imagining like I'm there in the presence of God and I'm just, I'm there coming before the judgment seat of, of the king and here's my roommate from college and my next door neighbor and family members and all of these people and they're going, Dave, why in the world did you not tell us about any of this? And I go, one of the most loving things we can do as followers of Jesus is to say, okay, Jesus, we receive the treasure of your grace in our life. We receive the message and the power of the cross. And now without watering it down or changing anything, we're going to transport that into every nook and cranny of the culture, every nook and cranny of society until everybody knows who you are. Understanding that Jesus, you alone can change the human heart. Guys, my prayer is that Nashville, Tennessee would become the hardest place on planet Earth for somebody to go to hell from. Pray that this would be a place where every person who's running from God would find themselves surrounded by men and women who love them enough and are gracious enough to both demonstrate the reality of the kingdom and to and to declare it with boldness and joy and life and clarity because we understand that as the children of God, what we've been invited to transport is both a joyful privilege and an awe-inducing responsibility. And we go, God, help us to carry this and to carry it well. You know, we're, we're at the end of this, this season of prayer and fasting, but we're not at the end of the mission that God's given us. He's given us this incredible mission with humility, with boldness, with joy, with strength, with power to show up and to say, God, I want to be used by you to bring the kingdom of heaven down. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are the only Bible that some of your friends will ever read. Your life is the only glimpse of the gospel that they're ever gonna get. And you are a part of God's plan A for the redemption of your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and the city and the cities that God will send you to. And it's key that you hear me when I say you're part of the plan. Jesus is the primary aspect of the plan, right? Like it's his death, his life, his resurrection, it is him pouring out the Holy Spirit that is the primary part of God's plan A for, rede for redeeming humanity. But I love that Jesus makes no bones about it. He wants to use you as a part of it. And I just found myself all month as I was praying for my neighbors and my coworkers and my family members going, God, would you raise up a spirit of joy-filled boldness and help me move with urgency towards my neighbors and my coworkers and my friends and my family until all know that Christ is who he says he is. And so I go, Lord, what do we do at the end of this season? I go, the only thing I know to do at the end of this season is what we've been doing all month. And that's that we would just go, hey God, would you, would you fill our hearts with the weight of eternity? Would you give us the eyes of heaven? Would you give us the courage 
to take the shot when we see it, when that coworker asks a question, when that family member is sick and needs praying for healing. God, would you help us to step into the gap and to trust you in utter dependence for who you are? Guys, you were made for this. This is why you're put on planet Earth, whether you know it or not. You're put on planet Earth to be a part of the transport system of the love and the glory and the beauty of God into the brokenness of the world around you. And so here's what I wanna invite you to do. We're gonna take a couple of moments right now and we're just gonna pray just personally, just quietly. I'm gonna give you a couple of prompts, a couple of things to think about, a couple of things to talk about God with just in the, in the stillness of your own heart. And then we're gonna, we're gonna end by praying in groups of two or three communally together. And then we'll end with a song or two of worship. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple of prayer prompts. I'm gonna lead us through. First one will be up on the screen. Here's the first prayer prompt. Jesus, would you please show me anything in my life that is keeping me right now from living in close friendship with you? Jesus, would you show me anything in my life that is keeping me from living in close friendship with you? And so I wanna invite you, just take a moment or two and just ask the Lord, hey, Lord, would you show me anything? Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a, just ask him, show me anything that's keeping me from you. Just ask him, Lord, is there anything? Is there anything that's keeping me from knowing you? Just pay attention to any thoughts or words or images or things that he puts in your heart and mind right now. Show me, Lord, anything. As you're sitting there in the presence of Jesus, the one who's with you, just want you to keep praying. We're gonna build on this. Okay, Lord, would you remove anything? Don't just show it to me. You remove anything that's keeping me from walking in close friendship with you. Just ask him. Hey, Lord, and I know it's a scary prayer. I'm just telling you, he's good. He loves you. <laughs> he has your best interest in mind. Jesus, take anything. Don't just show it to me. Take it. Just ask him that as you sit there in the presence of the Lord. Some of you need to keep wrestling with these internal questions, but I wanna give you another thing to pray about. Um, if, if you wanna keep praying with me, you can stay right where you're at in prayer with the Lord, let him keep speaking to you, or you can step into this next place of prayer with me, but just say, Jesus, would you show me two to three people in my life that are close to me but far from you? Just ask them, hey, who are two to three people? Maybe they've been on your list all month. Maybe, maybe it's someone that's not even on your radar. You think they're close to God, but he knows what's going on in their lives. Say, Jesus, show me two to three people in my life who are close to me, but they're far from you. Pay attention to their names, their faces, sound of their voice. Just ask them, show me. You can keep praying on your own, but... I would love to invite you to right now to get in groups of two or three people. Somebody right next to you, go ahead and you can turn your chair around if you need to. Get with two to three people next to you. And uh, we're gonna end with this kind of last prayer point together. Be up on the screen, it'll stay up on the screen for you. Jesus, give us boldness, humility, and power to share and to show the good news of the kingdom with 
the people that you put around us. So I wanna invite you right now out loud in groups of two to three. Let's take just a few moments. If you wanna keep praying on your own, you can do that. But let's, let's spend some time right now praying out loud together um, into some of these things or maybe something that God stirred in your heart a moment ago. So let's pray together. I want to invite you to stand with me. You can continue to pray as the Lord leads, but I want to invite you to stand with me. And uh, just to, to repeat this prayer with me, we are loved by God. Come on, church. We are loved by God. And we are being sent by God to show those around us and to tell those around us that they're loved by God too. We are loved by God. We are being sent by God to show those around us and to tell those around us that they're loved by God too. We're gonna end with just a song or two of worship and I wanna invite you to keep praying together. Pray for one another. Pray for this boldness and humility and power to to fill our church, that God would draw us in and fill us up and send us out. If you wanna receive prayer, there's some men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray over you. So glad you're here. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've done. And Lord, would you help us to carry the reality of the kingdom with both joy and privilege, but also fear and trembling, understanding that God, you have entrusted such an unbelievable treasure to such finite people like us. God, help us to carry it well. In the name of Jesus, amen.